0: to The Mind of a Skeptical Leftist, uh, I'm your host Corey, and today I'm joined by uh, Kevin Watson, uh, my co-host on Skeptarchy and uh, a little while ago we were talking about Bolivia because Ivo uh, Morales' uh, political party, MAS, uh, won a victory in the recent election so I thought I'd have you on to uh, just kind of go through a little bit of the... A little bit of the past stuff that's been been happening in Bolivia and then, like, this attempted coup, and maybe some, maybe we can go over that a bit. And then at at the end end of the show, we'll go over, uh, I got got some counter propaganda propaganda I want to distill, and uh, then I'm going to do a a new segment segment called Foes and Comrades. so
1: (laughs) Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on.
0: I'm glad glad you you can make make the time time for it.
1: Yep. No
0: worries. <laughs> okay, so I guess uh, Bolivia is a state is a, a country in uh, South America that uh, a few years like a, a while ago uh, elected Evo Morales Juan Evo Morales as uh, uh, his as their first indigenous and uh, Yeah, president, and he is uh, a socialist who, uh, like, put forth a bunch of of social programs. There's a little bit of history before that. I was listening to a a Vice News Report podcast where they talked about uh, how uh, this was kind of a change for the way that uh, Bolivia was governed, but... Uh, essentially, uh, Morales, Morales was a, a, a very, very beloved, beloved person in in, in uh, Bolivia, uh, Bolivia, and uh, uh, was, was uh, ran, uh, ran like, like four, four terms, terms or, terms or something.
1: something. Yeah, so he um, he started out as uh, president of Bolivia in 2006. Um, there was a change that happened in 2010, I believe it had something to do with. Uh, like, a a change in how the the country's government had been um, organized, but he essentially had remain president uh being reelected uh looks like four no three times um uh, yeah, yeah. yeah so first in 2006 again in 2009 and again in 2014 um and then there had been technically a fourth uh, election in 2019 that uh in, in which he was also elected but due to a number of uh, criticisms of you know potential election malfeasance um you know despite there being little to no evidence to actually support them he voluntarily <laughs> stepped down uh, and then the um, the country had been taken over by a very right-wing interim president. Um, however, Saying that he voluntarily stepped down is a little bit misleading <laughs> as, uh, it, you know, it was, it was the military supported by the US and, and other neoliberal countries yeah. that really got him to do that. So his, his actual, um, resignation was, uh, you know, more or less forced if, you know, if not directly militaristic.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah I, I think. think- The thing that I was listening to they said something about uh it was kind of out of the ordinary for him to go for like it wasn't expected for him to go for a fourth term because uh some changes, something in the Constitution said that he shouldn't be able to, but uh then he decided to run for a fourth term and apparently there was some protests, but I'm not entirely sure what that entailed. Um, and then yeah, yeah. and then yeah. You have so, the military so saying, saying like get, get out <laughs> yeah
1: so there was uh there were claims of electoral fraud in that election as far as his running i believe the issue was that there had been a new constitutional uh a new constitutional provision passed but it was during his second term so he made the argument that Uh, because that constitutional provision was passed during his second term, Uh, that he should be allowed to run for a second full term within, or since that, um, uh, since that provision was passed. And so there, there were definitely debates there as to whether or not that was valid. Um, but that was, that had a lot more to do about just him personally than anything about his, his party or his policies. And it was more about just, you know, that, per, that specific provision, which, you know, there will definitely be a number of questions as to whether or not that was valid. However, right, right. there's, there's no real evidence that the election itself, uh, was, you know, contained any major fraud. So most people still believe that he was legitimately elected in 2019 and that had it not been for the uh the pseudo coup uh that he would have he would have continued on as president through uh through that last term um and then you know assume uh, or uh, we assume that he would have stepped down and uh and allowed someone else from his party to continue to run
0: right yeah, yeah it's it, it was, was one, one of those things, things like, like uh i mean, I mean he, he won, won the, the election, election. It wasn't as though there was a, any actual fraud. And then when he had to, I guess, flee, like he had to, he left Bolivia. Yep. And then there was almost like a, a what, what what the Vice, Vice News Report described as a power vacuum. And the right-wing party kind of stepped in.
1: Yeah, although they, or they're, um, you know... Placing Janine Añez as the interim president was supported by a number of external powers, including the OAS, the U.S., most European countries. So, you know, it it was a power vacuum that was essentially created and solved by more or less the same people.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, That That sounds sounds kind kind of familiar. familiar. Like Like, there's there's a lot of power vacuums vacuums created created and solved by... (laughs) Uh, the the US.
1: U.S. and the CIA has a very long history of of uh, pretty heavy interference in the goings-on of South American and Central American countries over the past five six decades. So you know, th- <laughs> yeah. this this isn't exactly anything new as far as uh, you know the U.S. getting involved where they have no business being. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. So, so I, I guess uh, yeah, yeah, it's one of these things like. like how, how has, has this been, been covered like, by uh, the media, uh, that media that we see? Like, I've seen, you know, it seemed all very up and up on, like, the New, New York, York Times and, and stuff. Like, like they, they just, just kind of said, said like, oh, Yeah, there's a, a, <laughs> yeah
1: they're, they're going to, um, you know, the, the whole, um, you know, the coup and everything was reported in a very selective way. You know, they, they really only give... You know one side of the story, but they make it sound like they're reporting the facts. Um, you know that's that's one of the things I I have an issue with in a lot of uh, you know global media is uh, you know they can they can pretend to be a paper of record, but you know the, if you leave out relevant facts and you're so big that you know any oppositional paper um who who might actually include those facts isn't really going to affect you then you kind of get carte blanche to say whatever the fuck you want
0: i guess yeah <laughs> and, then, and then yeah, yeah. like uh, it's, it's not, not as though the new york, york times or the washington, washington post are going to disagree dramatically, dramatically on issues in latin america, america right
1: yeah, no, they're they're going to, you know, they're going to fall along the the same line that the US government and state department want them to say. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where the media doesn't have to be directly controlled by the government to be able to say pretty much what the government wants it to say. It's, you know, it's a very, you know, I uh, I scratch your back, you scratch mine sort of situation because they know if they, you know, if if they happen to have a reporter and an editor who who were more likely to print something that would seem more favorable uh to you know to more leftist um you know uh, parties in in South America most likely there are plenty of ways that they could uh be retaliated against their their various access to events and such um, wow. could could be revoked or at least restricted as as we've seen in a number of cases because they have the ability to you know choose who gets to come into you know White House briefings and press conferences right. and all that sort of thing so you know these are these are big major points of access for these uh you know these these journalistic enterprises and so they're not going to risk losing those uh just to you know satisfy a slightly more left of center viewpoint uh when when reporting on these sorts of things so they they pretty much toe the party line as it were um given that the US is in many ways a single party state all in its own right
0: so, so- I guess, I guess there's a couple other things about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, I guess overtake of the uh, Bolivian government. I mean, everybody on Twitter and whatnot was calling it a coup. Um, but in a sense, it was more like, uh, yeah, like a created power. Like it didn't take an actual military action per se because morale is flat, right?
1: So there were a lot of um there were the protests on the street uh protests both for you know supporting and opposing the results of the 2019 election um and so there were there was a lot of fighting on the street between the supporters of both mm-hmm. sides um given the you know given the recommendations of the OAS and everything like that um you know Morales okay. basically just wanted to try and stop the bloodshed that was occurring in his country between these two kind of warring factions. Um and so it was because of that uh at least that's what he said um that he primarily stepped down, but he himself called it a coup and said that he okay. was being forced out. Um you know it just wasn't kind of it it wasn't the same sort of military takeover that yeah. uh that you might think of when talking about a coup you know it wasn't a bunch of insurgents who stormed the the presidential mansion and you know held him at gunpoint and made him uh you know sign a resignation letter or give a resignation speech it was you know right. he was doing it um in a semi voluntary sense, but you know it <laughs> that was only because there was no real way for him to. Um, to stay in office with uh with everything that was going on both inside and outside the country that was against him so uh. yeah it was it, it seemed i'm guessing to him it seemed that it would be better for everyone to you know to step down stop the fighting in the streets and then let the next election you know uh happen and whoever, you know, and, and see what happened there. And obviously we can see that his party won his previous, uh, minister of finance. I think it was, uh, Louis RC, uh, I'm probably butchering that name, uh, has, has now won the presidency and, uh, Morales has, has returned to Bolivia. He actually, okay, um, yeah, no, he had something. He yeah, yeah. He actually just finished something of, uh, of a return tour through the country, uh, you know, okay. various parades and things.
0: So I guess the, the policies that he kind of, kind of had in in, in mind for, for his second term since the constitutional amendment, amendment um, that's probably, probably going, going to per, like, continue with uh, his, his party, party or, or like, like with, with the, the new, new president, president right? right I would think
1: yeah so <laughs> most likely the you know The policies that he was planning to implement were, you know, those that his party tended to agree on. So it's most likely that, uh, Luis Arcee will, uh, or Luis Arcee probably will continue to support those policies, uh, within Bolivia. Um, you know, and, and, In the time that he had, Morales actually was able to do quite a lot. Uh, you know, he, he was able to reduce dependence on the World Bank and the IMF. He was able to, you know, reduce a lot of the corruption in the government. Um, you know, put money into programs for, you know, helping to feed his people, uh, increasing education, literacy. Um, you know, overall healthcare. So he, he actually did quite a lot of good, uh, in the time that he was president and it's the hope that RC will continue to, um, to support those, uh, policies going forward. Oh, and... Uh, obviously he was uh he was huge for indigenous rights within Bolivia, right, which yeah. have been an issue for a long time as you know, they were uh they were slaves in the country essentially until the mid twentieth century, and then even after that, you know, they were largely just treated as as you know, lower class citizens to the uh to the white minority of the country. So he yeah. has uh you know, he he definitely increased the uh the rights and abilities of the the indigenous people in this country as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think there was like a. When he had fled, there was like a, a report of people like uh, really amping up on the racism and like they were burning these the flags that had incorporated indigenous uh, identity in it.
1: Yeah, I, I don't actually know much about that. I'm sorry to say, but I, I can definitely see that happening. Um, you know, my understanding is that there was a lot of anti-indigenous, uh, sentiment within the supporters of the right-wing parties. And so, you know, it, it's definitely something which I can, I can see happening. That, that sort of, um, unrest and, and, you know, racial tension has been going on for, for decades at this point, though.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, not entirely uh, surprising when a right-wing uh, government uh, supports the racists. The racists. <laughs> not really, no. Not so much. <laughs> as, as weird as, as that, that sounds, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I guess, what, what does the U.S. The US have, have to gain by inter- interfering in, in this? this? What, like,
1: Access to resources, mostly? So. Yeah. Um one of the biggest things uh, exports of Bolivia is lithium which uh, you know due to the rise of things like electric cars and just the general you know explosion of um you know portable electronics that need lithium for their batteries uh that's become a huge thing and because of uh you know Morales's and probably RC's general opposition to kind of the manipulation of external neoliberal powers, um, you know, he poses a threat to the access to that. In fact, you can, there, there was a very explicit, uh, um, tweet conversation between, <laughs> uh, so, or, you know, someone and Elon Musk, you know, who was saying, uh, the, the other person was saying, you know, he supported the coup because of the lithium resources and musk literally re- responded back. We'll coup whoever we want. Um, yeah. Like that's, that's it's not, not even the, that is, that is as direct of a quote as I can recall right now. And I'm pretty sure it's accurate. You know, I don't know if it's still up, but I recall seeing it around. I mean, I, I don't feel like uh musk is one of those guys to delete, shitty tweets that he makes but who knows yeah. Yeah. um yeah so he is he is definitely uh you know given us a very good uh motive for why they might want to do that and just <laughs> and obviously the the US and its allies generally don't like you know socialist powers anywhere uh we have we have done a lot of uh a lot of shit in our past to stamp out socialism wherever, wherever it exists, or at uh, least, yeah. you know, it's wherever it, it's appearing to gain power, you know, Vietnam, Cuba, Cuba Venezuela, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm, I could go on and on. I'm sure El Salvador, uh, you know, had that at one point, obviously, you know, a lot of people probably remember Augusto Pinochet in, uh, in Argentina or was it Chile? I can't yeah, remember. Chile. Okay. But, anyways, yeah, yeah it's yeah. you know we have a long history of <laughs> of you know directly opposing this and and trying to remove even democratically elected leaders who support these policies, um, you know, largely because their existence and survival is a threat to the uh, to the fiction and the story they've propped up that socialism never works. And, you know, the only reason it, it really never works is because we don't allow it to work.
0: Right, so yeah.
1: it it's one of those things uh, of, you know, socialism can't work. Look at all these countries we cooed who had socialism.
0: <laughs> yeah. can't, can't you, you see, see how, how they, they failed? failed? <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, there's a ton of stuff that, you know, the the U.S. and the general imperial powers don't want happening around the world um, purely for for reasons of ideology.
0: I was was thinking thinking, uh, uh, when when we we were talking talking about about the media, the the way way that that, like like the New New York 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 Times covered covered Venezuela, Venezuela, it, it It seemed, like, similar to me, but I did eventually see them print, like, and I'm not a Maduro defender necessarily, uh, but there was some some misreporting done by the New York Times, and they did eventually have to uh, correct that. And I'm not sure if, you know, you you got got that kind of same skewed reporting coming from the New York Times or any corrections
1: Yeah, so, you know, the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, NBC, all of those, you know, they're they're generally going to um, you know, cover it in a way that is most beneficial to the idea that capitalism is the most free and fair system. Uh, um, right. you know, and and they'll they'll take certain facts that do exist, you know, you know, Obviously, Venezuela is, is, has been in a very bad state for, for many years. But of course, then they will just, you know, blame it on the, uh, the socialist leaders of the country rather than really getting into the nuance of it of, of what's causing the problems. And I will say that, you know, outfits like NPR and their Planet Money podcast do tend to give it a much more, uh, nuanced, um, reading okay. of, of the situation. I remember, uh, hearing about them reporting on it a while ago and, and they, uh, they gave a very nuanced and I, I feel like fair, um, assessment of, of why Venezuela was doing so bad. A lot of it being due to the fact that, um, there was some economic mismanagement. They were so reliant on the income, uh, from their oil exports that they essentially didn't really produce anything else. Um, and so they were, they were therefore reliant on a lot of imports for, uh, for Basically everything else in their country. So as soon as that, um, that income dried up due to the various, you know, revolutions, like in the U.S. with fracking and in other places with, you know, increased oil production, that meant a lot less income for them. And therefore, you know, that started to really crash their economy. Um, but I, you know, they also leave out the, uh, you know, the massive amount of programs that, um uh, you know the the country has put in place to try and help its citizens and the fact that the majority of of Venezuelans still do seem to support uh the ex- the current government um over a governmental yeah. change so it's it's one of those things where they love to leave out certain bits of information and and leave in <laughs> you know only what what really supports them it's uh, cherry picking is is not a uh an unknown thing to most of the um, most of the outfits that report on this kind of stuff in the U.S. and elsewhere.
0: Yeah, I suppose it's not. Uh, it's not to say that uh, the situation, uh, situation in Bolivia and Venezuela are direct you know, like comparison. Uh, like, comparison. Uh, uh, like I don't, I don't recall, recall or, maybe or maybe I just missed it, it but I don't, I don't recall anything, anything from the New York, York Times or, or CNN claiming that like uh, uh, there was lots of civil unrest due to government mismanagement of funds. funds. Uh, the, way
1: the way I uh, heard about, about Venezuela. Yeah. So, uh, with, in the case of Bolivia, um, you know, Moss and Morales himself were both very well liked within that country. And, you know, there, there's definitely been civil unrest in Venezuela due to, um, you know, due to the various things, but they've also had a giant economic crash, whereas Bolivia yeah. has been much more fortunate in that their exports are something that, you know, can't be easily taken over. Um, mainly because, you know, they have a lot of uh, natural resources that aren't found in many other places. So just because of kind of their, right. their geographical, Um, placement, they are, they have a lot better conditions to kind of maintain a standard of living in the country and even improve it under, you know, more leftist policies. Whereas unfortunately, Venezuela having that one. Uh, you know, major resource that, you know, they figured was, was going to last for a while. Um, and they didn't really, you know, try to diversify in the ways that, you know, many other uh, South American countries have done. So it's, you know, th- there are definitely nuanced factors to all of these things um but right. and you know there there are multiple reasons why a country uh might be having the problems of Venezuela or might be doing as well as uh Bolivia is and so it's it's something where we can't just rely or we can't just rely upon the analysis from a single factor like what their you know basic economic system is or you know what it's being steered toward at the very least um you know it's it's not just about government policies and economic forecasts it's you know it's got to do with a lot of other material realities within the country and with right. you know how they um how they interact with those around them and those around the world.
0: Yeah, and a lot of that still has to do with, like, uh, yeah, uh, the, uh, way the way that other com- com- countries trade with them and and the kind of deals they, they can get. get. Like, uh, uh, with, with Bolivia, uh, like, just, just taking a glance at, at the wiki, the wiki it, says it says they have, like, 50, 50 to 70% of the world's lithium. World's mm-hmm. lithium. So, so they kind they of, even if you know uh the us or canada or, or these other countries don't like their f- style of governing they have to deal with them on some level or coup them yeah <laughs> right <laughs> so because, because they, they just need, need that lithium so, so
1: yeah so you know we um it's something where we kind of do you know need Bolivia in the kind of global economic system because of how much of you know those resources that they have that aren't really easy to find uh almost anywhere else they they also do have just yeah. kind of a a very diverse um you know general economic uh export system where you know only about a third of their exports are petroleum based um, and a good amount of it, you know, I think what it is, a, another 20 to 30 percent is various um, metals and ores and uh, those sorts of things. So they have a lot of those sorts okay. of natural resources that they can export to kind of, you know, it makes up a, a far larger share of their um of their economy, not to mention they have uh, quite a large agricultural sector as well. So you know they they do have a much more diversified economy, and because of that, they can right. they can kind of weather those uh, those sorts of global shifts le- or in a way that uh, a place like Venezuela just couldn't. Yeah, so, so even,
0: even if the, like the lithium, the lithium market happens market to, to drop out, out for, for some, some reason. reason. They have, have other, other things, things to, to fall, fall back, back on as well.
1: Yeah, like lithium isn't even a, a, like a massive part of their economy. Um, You know, they also export things like zinc, gold, tin, aluminum, okay. uh, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I, a good probably 10% or 10 to 15% of their economy is just – um you know just, just agriculture and then they have various other uh chemicals and um you know natural resources to uh to be able to use so
0: mm. oh, that's, that's It's interesting. interesting i uh i, I hear, hear about, about these stories, stories of uh, like Bolivia, Bolivia and it always it seems, seems like, like uh you know you, you only, only get bits and pieces, and pieces of the story yeah. so <laughs> so, so I, was I was listening to that Vice News report, News report and it goes in like okay well here's like three terms of of uh, Morales and this is why they went into this situation and I'm like well I don't know that doesn't know you. that doesn't I mean that sort of fits with what I learned before from uh, you know reading stuff online and uh, conversations with other people but it wasn't
1: a hundred percent of like the same thing I didn't
0: think but Sounds, Sounds like they, they had it pretty accurate. accurate. And,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they do, you know, the, the news does tend to report things, uh, you know, accurately when it benefits them, but they will, you know, generally speaking, um, you know, leave out particular bits of information. So it's more lies yeah. of omission than actual, you know, untruths.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah I had a, I was having having a conversation with somebody, with somebody about that, that. like, mm-hmm. um, I guess more, more in relation to China, China because um, uh, of, of the weaker situation there. And like there's a, a number, number of people, people that I, inter- I have interacted with who are just, they flatly deny that uh, the uh, genocide the of, the of the Uyghurs, Uyghurs is even, Uyghurs even happening <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. it's all American propaganda. <laughs> and I'm just, well, I mean, American media isn't necessarily trustworthy, but, but I don't, I don't think, think that you, you can, can just deny, deny this entire, entire breadth, breadth of, of information, information that's, that's out there about well, this now.
1: Yeah, there, there's a, a crap ton of information, not just from American sources, but from all over, including from, you know, the weaker people themselves that show the kind of actions, uh, that the CCP is taking against them is, you know, has, has been you know, pretty horrific. And yeah, you can see a lot of pictures that people bring out of like Uyghur parades that are still allowed to happen and things like that. But it's you know, right. that's that's one individual instance, whereas, you know, something like a genocide is a large systemic problem. Um you know, so, you know, there's still re-education camps and work camps and all of these things that they're being forced into, um, not to mention the various ways in which they're being economically disenfranchised, the ways in which their ability to, you know, continue on uh, with their culture and and you know being able to to have families and to sh- you know to to spread and uh you know to spread their culture to to newer generations, all of that has been massively restricted. Um, and the end result is just you know you end up with a culture that's ultimately dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it actually some, some of it, it. I mean, the like, like the reeducation camps and, camps and stuff that, that it, it reminds me of, like. Of like
0: it reminds me of other situations where people have been placed into educational situations where uh, you're taught not to follow your culture, not to follow your uh, family beliefs or whatever. Right? Yep.
1: Yeah, the various uh, you know the various schools that natives in you know the Americas were put through post uh, post colonization, and especially in the uh, 19th and 20th centuries is a is a huge example of that and luckily you know we were able to kind of stop that and have been trying to to make amends for that at least in some situations but it's still an ongoing uh you know system of oppression that's that's being taken out against you know Native American peoples and and other you know, other oppressed peoples around the world. So it's, it's definitely not just something China is doing. There's, you know, most governments around the world, um, you know, or, you know, governments of, of, you know, particular size and wealth are, you know, are or have relied on exploitation of underclasses of people for centuries.
0: So, so before, before I move, I move on, on, is there anything, anything that, that we, we didn't, didn't cover, cover about Bolivia that, it- should be covered.
1: I mean there's probably a ton that should be covered but <laughs> yeah, like probably. I said I'm I am not the uh, I'm not exactly an expert on the whole situation. I am an interested uh you know layperson who who right. likes to you know keep up on on the goings on of the world. There are, you know, many better qualified people to talk about this than myself and I'm sure there are a lot of people who um who have put information out there. Um, you know, I'm there's uh, there's plenty of of leftist content creators out there who who have covered this in in far more depth than I have.
0: Yeah, it. it, it uh, I, I suppose, suppose ideally, ideally one would actually would be able, able to, to uh, at some, some point speak to somebody from, from Bolivia. Bolivia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would certainly be interesting. Although, you know, it, it's it, you know. You often have to be careful about that simply because of the fact that um you know if it 's someone who escaped you know who who left Bolivia because of the socialist policies they 'll often be against right. that so you know you, you have yeah. to be very careful about the sources it 's it's one of the fallacies that Prager, you and and outfits like them like to exploit is, you know, get this person who's lived in America yeah. most of their life but are ethnically <laughs> from this country and, you know, were born there and maybe grew up there for a few years. And they have all of these terrible things to say about what's currently happening in a country that they've, you know, never really lived in yeah. or experienced directly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah I actually uh, – I've, I've been, been uh, looking to, to speak, speak to, to somebody from, from- – Uh, who is of Cuban descent, Uh, but it seems that a lot of Cubans who are in North America right now are actually rabid (laughs) right-wingers. Yeah, so... So So there's a particular
1: reason for that, which is that during the Cuban revolution in the 50s, the people who escaped Cuba were the people that the revolutionaries were trying to get rid of, i.e. the (laughs) landowners, the slave owners, the, you know, the ultra wealthy people. Those are the people who all escaped to the U.S. So of course they're going to be far more right wing because that is, you know, uh the the government or the the revolution specifically tried to attack their personal interests right. uh while they were trying to expand and and you know consider the interests of everyone in Cuba um so yeah of course they're they're going to be rapidly right wing they're going to be uh rapidly anti castro um you know and anti the against the various policies supportive of of punitive measures like the ongoing embargoes and things like right. that So yeah, it's one of those things where just because a person is from a place does not necessarily mean that their particular perspective on that place is valid or useful.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I read read a book a a while ago ago that talked about about like, uh,
1: refugees coming to America from Cuba or or other quote unquote socialist countries. Right. And,
0: uh, they always claimed that the existence of these refugees was proof that socialism didn't work. And I always thought that that just didn't make any sense because you don't know the history. You don't know who these people are that are leaving their country necessarily. That doesn't, I mean, it's not great that somebody has to leave their country, but maybe they're the reason that the country was, you know, in rough shape in the first place. Or, you know, there's more nuance to it. That just, just, there's, there's refugees, refugees, therefore, therefore that, that country, country is bad, bad and socialism, socialism doesn't work.
1: <laughs> yeah. And like, and that is definitely um, a, a really frustrating kind of fallacy that they engage in. Um, you know, when when you could look at the masses of people who are living there and who uh, you know do support the government and whose lives have been improved by the goings on there, um, right. you know, versus people who left and haven't been back, and now they're looking from the outside in and trying to say, "No, this is bad." And it's just like it's one of those things where you know you <laughs> Sure, you can say that this is bad, but when you actually look at the things that have happened in that country, the fact that, you know, their, their medical system is one of the best in the world to the point where they sent multiple doctors to multiple countries, uh, to, to help with COVID, uh, medical staffing shortages. Yeah. Um, the fact that they have massively increased their literacy rates, their housing rates, reduced their poverty rates, reduced the homelessness and Starvation rates, you know, it's it's all been, um, you know, I I won't say it's a perfect country, but, you know, right, far right. from it, and you know, the government certainly isn't without its problems, um, you know locking up political prisoners and such but it's not as if the US doesn't do the same thing and doesn't do it 20 times as bad <laughs> right. so yeah, you know yeah. yeah you can you can say all these bad things about a country but when you compare it to how the country you know matches up to you know other countries even nearby or specifically the ones that are criticizing that country for its problems uh yeah. then you then you start to to get a clearer picture of you know, the idea that these criticisms are not objective, you know, this is a problem. They're often coming from a place of combativeness to say, oh, well, we're better than they are. And, you know, when when all you do is give every bad thing that a country has done or that's happening in a country, you don't give any of the good things and you don't give a comparison from the country you're in about all those bad things you're criticizing them for, you give a very warped, uh, you know, perception of the country and what's happening in it in a way that is you know very difficult to combat so it's you know it's propaganda 101 tell only the truths that you need to tell
0: yeah i i actually actually went went to cuba Cuba in 2009 2009 when when i was much more of a conservative person person versus uh the person uh, person i am now Mm -hmm. and uh even Mm -hmm. at the time like Yes, it's a mixed bag. There's good and bad, and there's poor situations, and there's like people living in like rough, rough uh, conditions. But there's also like really nice places, and and uh, I, at the time, even though I was a conservative, I thought there was some really good ideas there. Like they had, uh, I was told by people that there was when you get of age, you have your options. You can go to school for free, or you can join the military. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, oh, so, so you get, get to go, go to school, school for free? free. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you don't, you don't have, have to go thousands and thousands of dollars in debt, and, and you're not, or not forced or to go into debt. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Yeah. It, it's not a situation of either going to debt or join the military. It's OK. Well, you know, you can go to school for free or if you prefer, you can go into the military and, and do service there. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not a situation where they're forcing people uh, to choose between, you know, three really shitty options of, you know, uh essentially massive debt unwanted military service or shitty employment prospects because they couldn't afford school and didn't want to go into the military
0: yeah yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I mean i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Not, not going to be, be a Castro, Castro apologist, but. but no. <laughs> but yeah. No, I, I, I won't be a Castro awful.
1: apologist either. His, you know, <laughs> a, a lot of his policies have been abhorrent, but, you know, the situation in Cuba is far better than many people give it credit for. Yeah,
0: yeah for, for sure. sure. All,
1: All right, right. We'll move, move on from, from that.
0: that. Um, on to counter-propaganda, this is uh, some con- concurrent things, things that, that I, I see happening on uh,
1: f- from centrist or right-wing media sources or right-wing uh, pundits or whatever,
0: and uh, or even politicians,
1: uh, that I think need, need to be called out as bullshit.
0: <laughs> so, so I've got uh, the first one is uh, our Canadian Conservative leader uh, recently Uh, elected uh, as the leader of the Conservative Conservative Party of Canada. Canada. And he is now... uh, Uh, He's he's actually gaining some traction with this narrative that he's pro-labor and pro-worker. And uh, the thing is, historically, uh, the Conservative Conservative Party has has still always worked in favor of capital or uh, the boss or the the ruling class. (laughs) Uh, Yep. they, They still...
1: Always love love to to limit the uh, negotiation power of
0: unions, and uh, they love the law and order narrative that puts striking workers uh, often in the same category as uh, criminals uh, through their rhetoric. And uh, of of course, they like, if they're in power, power, often they try to declare certain jobs as essential services so that you cannot. Strike, or, or if you, you do strike, strike, you are then legislated by, uh, the, government by uh, the government to go, go back, back to work. So, so that's that's the uh, Canadian conservatives, conservatives are not pro labor. labor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> it's shocking, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I've I've got one, which is uh, you know, throughout uh, throughout his his presidency, Donald Trump has loved to. Tout the stock market as, as one of the reasons why the economy is doing great. And, uh, that's actually complete and utter bullshit because never has the stock market been a good indicator of how well the economy is doing. It's a much better indicator of how rich people are feeling at that point in time. And that's,
0: that's, that's you know,
1: relying on the top echelons of society to determine how the entire economy is doing. Probably not the best idea. Uh, so, you know, you can, you can look at things like, you know rate of wage growth unemployment you know new job creation things like that and see that all of those are absolute shit uh and that the economy is has been in a pretty deep recession since <laughs> you know early in the year um and you know even without covid there were definitely signs that it was going to go that way anyway yeah. we just happened to have that lovely accelerating factor so that is why the stock market as a or, you know as a um, measure of the economy's health is bullshit.
0: <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. sure. I've got another one here. Uh,
1: uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was interviewed by the New York Times to address the establishment Democrats claim that progressives and the left are to blame for the narrow victory they achieved over Trump,
0: as well as the losses they had in the House and the Senate. <laughs> so this is, I mean, AOC, uh, obviously she countered this very well in the New York Times article, which I will link in uh, the show notes for this episode. But yeah, progressive policies actually, when they were on the ballot, tended to fare very well. Like even Florida uh, voted for a fifty dollars minimum wage. Um, good luck getting that anywhere <laughs>
1: yeah and one thing to note there is, someone did a a very interesting comparison of um you know of of Democrats in you know various uh you know centrist and right leaning districts and there was a very strong correlation uh between whether or not the candidate supported Medicare for all and whether or not the candidate got reelected. And this, and many of these were in, you know, R plus three, R plus five districts. And that is to say that the, you know, the, the district in general tends to swing more Republican. And yet these more progressive Democrats, uh, you know, more left wing Democrats actually won, whereas the more centrist Democrats tended to lose. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, the, the idea (laughs) that progressives are somehow harming the party is absolutely bullshit the evidence pretty clearly shows that no where where you have more progressive people they tend to win more often not less yeah,
0: yeah like, like uh, one of the things, things that AOC, aoc said in the article or in the interview, interview was that, that uh, the, the democrats, democrats did not, not have, have a good, good online uh,
1: campaign, uh, campaign at all, all. so, so that, that kind of puts, puts it a, into, into a, a different, different perspective, perspective where,
0: where uh if you, if you don't, don't campaign properly and meet people where they are, especially during COVID time when you're not doing door knocking and meeting people like at rallies and stuff, like you really got to be there where people can see your, your platform and your policies and your ideas.
1: Yeah, completely agree. And okay, what else do I got? I got election conspiracies.
0: Okay. There, are, <laughs> there are currently three three big ones that I've heard about. Uh, of course, there's the thousands of fraudulent ballots. Um, this, this is, there's no, no evidence at all about, about this, obviously. Um, there was also a claim that the CIA or the Secret Service or somebody uh, waterma- watermarked all the uh, legitimate ballots, and all the fraudulent ballots are not watermarked. And so... <laughs> what? <laughs> so, so so, fuck! When they feel it's the right time, they're going to reveal... That, that some of these, these are fraudulent, and everybody—this is, this is a QAnon on one—everybody one. <laughs> Everybody involved in, in the fake ballots are, are going to be arrested by Donald Trump, Trump and whoever else.
1: <laughs> that doesn't even fucking make sense for a number of reasons. Like, what, you—oh
0: you, you,
1: my god, this is—that is just too fucking— Oh, my brain, it hurts. I also heard heard somebody say that on uh, InfoWars. Infowars. Uh, Uh,
0: I was listening listening to Knowledge Fight, and and they they had a guy guy on there talking about uh, this particular thing. thing. He He even claimed claimed to be part of it. Like, he was in on it, so. so... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, one I've heard is
1: that, um, you know, people keep bringing up this claim that thousands of dead people in Michigan cast mall- mail-in ballots this last election, uh, nice. you know, and and put together the absolute flimsiest evidence you can imagine. And it's just so ridiculous. Uh,
0: yeah. yeah, there's, there's also a, 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 apparently a program and a supercomputer called, a called Hammer and Scorecard. And Which did some uh, wild calculations to uh, uh, give to transfer three percent of the votes uh, that were for Donald Trump to somehow get them to read as votes for uh, Biden. Though no, I'm, I'm not, not entirely, entirely sure that, which regions, which this, regions was this was supposed to work, work for. <laughs> yeah, it's like
1: the people who come up with these theories entirely forget that each state runs its own elections, and on a, and like even the or you know even the like secretaries of state for their respective governments don't have a ton of control over it because it's usually localities like town cities and counties that do you know most of this counting so this is just absolutely idiotic
0: (laughs) oh there's there's also I forgot about this one one. Uh, there There was some places uh, polling polling places places where they they were giving sharpies to people to fill out their ballot yeah
1: I heard about this one (laughs) (laughs) yeah the claim is that sharpie that (laughs) that that the machine machine won't read read the ballot if it's marked with with a sharpie but it it will if it's with a pen.
0: pen And, and this, this is again, again just, just obviously, obviously nonsense. nonsense. It's, it's not, not true in any sense. sense. And uh... <laughs> there's a reason that the
1: ballots say use black or blue ink. It just needs to be dark enough for the optical sensor to read. A sharpie is plenty dark <laughs> enough. What the
0: fuck? I was, like I it's not it. even
1: like it's not even like the, the ink and in a ballpoint and a sharpie are all that different. No, <laughs> no,
0: it's, oh. it's ink, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's essentially, essentially the same thing. thing. I, I was listening to something, I think, I think it, was it was just, just yesterday, yesterday actually, and, and they, there, there was, was a person, person who was trying was to tell the, there were some protesters who were very, very frustrated by the Sharpie, Sharpie story, story. And, and there was, there was a, a representative of the elections, people, uh, uh, a board or whatever, talking, talking to them and, them and trying to alleviate their concerns. Their concerns. And she said, okay, Okay, yes, that you you can use use blue or black ink, and this, this, so Sharpies will be fine. And somebody somebody said, oh, "Oh, Sharpies don't don't have black ink at all.
1: I mean, some don't, sure, but the majority of every Sharpie I've ever seen has black ink. Yeah. Yes, there are blue ones and red ones and green ones and yellow ones and all sorts of different colored Sharpies, but, but my, my guess is the one they're using at polling stations are fucking black. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, that's, that's right. So that's uh, that's today's, today's counter propaganda. <laughs> Very nice. On to foes and comrades. This is the segment of the show where I uh, shout out uh, call out a foe, uh, somebody who's doing shitty things and or is being shitty, uh, or give credit to or call shout out to uh, a comrade, somebody who's doing good work. And I'm going to start with foe. And I've got Joe Manchin. Uh, I, know I know he's a Democrat, a Democrat. Uh, he's a senator in uh, West Virginia, or a senator in West Virginia, but he did say that he would not vote for uh, increasing the size of the court, or uh, or for breaking the filibuster. And he, he basically comes across as a, a red Democrat. So...
1: Yeah, in that vein, I have someone very similar here in Massachusetts, the now former congressman, uh, well. Not former at this point, but soon to be, um, Congressman Joe Kennedy the third. And, uh, he actually tried to primary our, uh, much more progressive Senator Ed Markey and lost. Um, and due to that loss, he, um, he didn't run for reelection <laughs> for so his, <laughs> his congressional seat. So, uh, as of, you know, as of the new year, he will no longer be in government, but he is just an absolute shitbag. The man, you know, doesn't support medicare for all doesn't support the green new deal doesn't even support a fucking 15 dollars minimum wage uh if i can if i'm remembering right uh you know has just uh, yeah basically red democrat it's it was it was honestly disturbing to see and the fact that so many people supported this guy was just ridiculous
0: uh my comrade for this is uh the black Socialist in america on twitter um They are a group of anti-capitalist, internationalist, black Americans who believe that workers should control the means of production in a democratic and decentralized way. Uh, They say they're non-sectarian, and they call themselves scientific socialists, and are very inclusive of of other leftists with a a couple of exceptions. Uh, They don't like egoists or uh,
1: what was the other one? I think it's insurrectionists, they said. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not—they're—they're they're not really leftists. In fact, they usually describe themselves as post-leftists, and they're mm. basically uh, variations on individualist anarchism. Which, you know, while anti-capitalist, is not exactly pro-social.
0: Right. Yeah. i the, th- th- the, th- the few, few things, things I've read about like, like uh, egoists, I've been, been like, like, I don't know. a little, I'm, I'm skeptical. skeptical I, I guess you could say. say. <laughs> But, yeah,
1: it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's definitely a, uh, uh, interesting one. Um, my comrade this week, it, it's a little bit more general, but it's something that I kind of want to get out there, which is, uh, worker owned and operated cooperatives. Um, you know, this is, uh, these are organizations, companies where, Uh, most or all of the workers are co-owners in the business. And so they have, you know, collective decision making about how the business is run, what's done with various revenues and profits. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, generally just, you know, how the, how the business as a whole operates. So rather than being a very top-down organization where you have, you know, an owner or CEO, uh, you know, sending down orders usually through managers to the actual workers. You have it where everyone, uh, is a worker. Everyone's an owner and everyone has an equal say as to, to how the companies run. And, you know, they, they can do things like elect managers for a time to, you know, kind of right. keep the efficiency that that sort of system, uh, can create. But, you know, they, they still have, uh, consistent input into how the business is run and it's, uh, it's definitely something that I want to see more of. Um, there's, there's sure. a few here in the, the Boston area where I, uh, where Ooh. I live, um, and in, including a, a cooperative, uh, dog walking company who is, Amazing. uh, very, uh, very, um, explicitly uh, anti-capitalist. There's also an uh a leftist anarchist bookstore called the Lucy Parsons Center uh where they have a similar thing although uh, most of their work comes from volunteers rather than uh workers, but yeah, there's there's a number oh. of places and like these these exist throughout the country um and actually multiple studies have been done that indicate that uh they tend to do better financially and and have more um, you know, more resilience than, uh, you know, typically structured companies. So there was, uh, there's a couple of, uh, there's a couple of videos I watched on that to, to give more details. Um, I'll give them to Corey so he can put those in the show
0: notes. Sounds, Sounds good. Yeah. yeah they're, they're not, not uh, I guess funneling, funneling the, the money, money up to an individual, individual or family or something, right? Precisely.
1: <laughs> <something, right? laughs> so that's good. That's,
0: that's awesome. awesome. I, I, we, we have, uh, a, a company, company here that is called, called the co-op, co-op. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, but it is a consumer co-op.
1: co-op yeah and and the word co-op is is very misleading because it can mean a lot of things yeah. um the the marxist economist richard wolf prefers to uh refer to them as worker self-directed enterprises um and you know the name co-op needs to be looked at, uh, you know, pretty skeptically just because of the fact that it can have a lot of meanings. Like there, I remember there's, uh, oh, what is it called? Um, REI, I think it is, is the, um, it's a sportswear company or like an, a, an athletics company. And it calls itself a co-op, but again, it's a consumer co-op, not a worker. Right.
0: Co-op. So, so it's, yeah. So it's, it's run, run very, very differently, differently than we would, would maybe prefer. <laughs> Yeah. So. Okay, okay so Kevin uh, I know uh, people can, can find, find you at, at on, on the Skeptic Key Podcast key but where, where else, else can people, people find you you can
1: find me on Twitter at Ancom Um that's pretty much where I'm doing things these days
0: so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you're uh, uh, less, less active, active on, on Facebook, Facebook lately. lately yeah well <laughs> uh, since, uh,
1: since I got my account disabled for some unknown reason that still has not been explained to me so. <laughs> damn,
0: damn eh yeah. All right, and uh, I guess for, for anyone who, who wants to share this, and, uh, or this, this is anchor.fm/skeptical leftist, is the podcast. I've got my blog, skeptical skepticalleftistpod.wordpress.com. I've got my patreon.com/skeptical leftist. And of, of course, you can email me at myskeptical skepticalleftist at gmail.com. Com. Thank you, Kevin, for joining me. I really appreciate
1: it. Yeah, thanks again for having me.
0: Talk to you soon.
1: All right.